to It's a Musical Podcast, the podcast show where I force my boyfriend to watch musicals he should have seen, and then we talk about them. I am the boyfriend. And I am Drew. And we are here today to discuss the last five years. Drew, what were you doing five years ago? How old was I five years ago? I was 20. This time five years ago, I was finishing my first year at university, and... I was just about to go off to America for the summer. Cool. Yeah. This time five years ago, mm-hmm. I believe I would have been wrapping up my NQT year. Oh, cool. I had just or was about to go through my first of the two eye surgeries that I had. Oh, yeah. So this time five years ago, I was about to really kind of kick off my... I, I guess my journey into becoming an adult, which yeah. sounds crazy to say like 25 years old, but I think for me, the last five years have been a real growing experience. Yes. Which I is think... interesting, like to think back on it now in that way. Yeah. A lot has changed for me personally in that time. Yeah, same. <laughs> it's a it's real weird to, detour, yeah, but... <laughs> suddenly thinking back five years into your life is so strange yeah and we're obviously not talking about our last five years on today's show no that would be very self-indulgent yes it would we're talking about a film with anna kendrick mm-hmm. who i know from into the woods twilight <laughs> scott pilgrim pitch yeah. perfect trolls Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates. Yeah. And Jeremy Jordan, who I know from Newsies. Yeah. And I think might have been in Smash. Yes. I've not seen Smash, Smash, but you've told me of it. I love Smash. So they've got very differing CVs. Yeah, I think Jeremy Jordan is in a lot more things than you will know him from. He's in a lot more stage shows. Recently, he was in Waitress as Dr. Pomiser. That's one of the roles I'd like to play in Waitress. (laughs) <laughs> you'd play any of the roles in I would like to be any of the male roles in Waitress I yeah. think they're all hilarious or challenging yeah they're great characters so how long is he doing that role for? Uh, not long in that Broadway's closed oh so he just started no he, he'd been in it for a while with Shoshana Bean yeah. who's quite famous as well and they were in it when it closed so oh. That's another one that's likely to not be reopening. Has he become synonymous with the role, would you say, or is it still... No, people love him from Newsies. Okay. He's he's one of those uh, like cult artists, I would say. People love him. See, I was thinking the other day, Waitress obviously was a film first. Yeah. But as Newsies has shown, mm-hmm. and if rumours are true about Tina Fey's intention with Mean Girls, just because it was a film first doesn't mean there's not room for the musical to be filmed in some sense. And I was wondering, you know, if they were to ever redo Waitress as a film, you've got a lot of good actors who have taken on the roles within that show. Yeah, I think they'd have to have Sarah Bareilles as a lead. Because she was great on stage, but I think that would be how you sold that movie. But in terms of the Doctor casting... There's a lot of great actors who have played that role. I don't know if there's one who is as synonymous with the role that you could say by default, we will have them play this role in a filmed version, or in a film version. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. 
It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Anyway, we're getting off topic. We are getting off topic. Before I tell you anything about the last five years, what do you know about it? I have, other than the casting, three bullet points. Okay. So, my well, and I guess two of those bullet points are questions. So I'll start with the one thing I think I know. Yeah. Based on the title, I assume it chronicles a relationship. Yes potentially the end of a relationship where they're reflecting on the last five years together or potentially before a big event for instance a wedding sure maybe something else maybe one of the characters is mourning the other and they're reflecting i'm thinking that anna kendrick and jeremy jordan are together yeah that's kind of that's all i think i know of this they're the main characters yeah but it could be that they're actually with other people but they're drawn to each other. Okay. You know, just because they're the two main characters, it doesn't mean that they're necessarily in a relationship with each other. They could could be about their journey towards it. Are they reflecting on actually what made them become a couple? So over the past five years, what's actually happened? Is it one of those stories where they keep being close, but something gets annoying and stops. You know the episode of How I Met Your Mother where there's a window of opportunity? Oh, yeah. Ted it is worst. Mm. But is there a case where for both of them there's a window, and we see that over the five years, where that window is closed before they can get there, and eventually in the five years they realise, oh, we've just like really romanticised each other. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. This is i think a first for us and that we're watching on amazon prime today yes not disney plus <laughs> so was this a cinematic release yes and no it was released at the toronto film festival in 2014 mm-hmm. which is when the film came out and then it was wide released in inverted commas uh, to select cinemas and then public release straight to dvd i have never heard of this yeah I didn't expect you to. So for me, that's quite, you know, for me, that's that's a good answer that I didn't, I, I was worried I was going crazy. So you I hadn't missed had it. Yeah. yeah. I think in 2014, mm-hmm. Anna Kendrick has started to show that she's more bankable as an actress. What else had she done? I think at this point she, she would have done Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect, I think, is like 2010, 2011. Yeah. Anna Kendrick had done Pitch Perfect, so she's kind of more known at this point. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering why it wouldn't have necessarily been a big release. So, The Last Five Years is a concept musical. Okay. Which means that it takes one central theme and the entire plot revolves around that in the same way that Cats does. Well, Cats is a concept musical. Yeah. The concept is, here's a book of poems about cats, let's turn it into a musical. There's no discernible plot. I know there are elements of plot, but it's a concept. The concept of this one is a relationship over five years. We're in the same way you get concept albums from yeah. singers and, and bands. Yeah, Bat Out of Hell. Bat Out of Hell, American Idiot, Welcome to the Black Parade are concept albums yeah. that tell a story over the narrative of however many songs are on that album. Exactly. So 
this is that kind of concept style. Yeah. Is it a jukebox musical then? No. Okay. It's a Jason Robert Brown musical. I don't know who he is. You're not going to. He wrote 13, which is a great musical. That's where Ariana Grande made her Broadway debut when she was a child. Is it an adaptation of 13 going on 30? No. Not interested. Uh, also Parade, which again, I don't no, expect you to. No. Um, but he has said that his biggest influence musically is Sweeney Todd. So this is going to be very Sondheim? Yeah. Okay. I think so. In that, in the kind of singing, storytelling kind of way. So he's quite a new no. writer then? No? Oh, okay. No. Okay. Jason Robert Brown is a very eclectic, classical-esque songwriter. Okay. But for the, the last five years, he wrote the music, the lyrics, and the book. So he did everything. All him. Because it's often... Andrew Lloyd Webber is... It's an Andrew Lloyd Webber production, mm -hmm. but he doesn't always do everything. It's very rare that he would do everything. Exactly. Like, you always have somebody else write all the other details, which, not criticising, I think yeah. you play to your strengths and you understand that this is how things work. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we've necessarily had much on this podcast where it's been one person did this, 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 basically did everything. Yeah. And so the reason that he did everything is that the last five years is semi-autobiographical. Okay. In that it's inspired by his failed marriage with his first wife, Theresa O'Neill, which is something interesting for you to think about when you're watching this film. Because I read that when I was doing my research and thought, why would you tell anyone this? Why would you admit that this is autobiographical? Because this is your Eureka moment the other day. Yeah. And like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> so Theresa O'Neill, his wife, his ex-wife, sued him for this and said it violated their NDA from their divorce. Yeah. In which they agreed that he couldn't profit off of a story based around their life. And he <laughs> countersued her for interfering with his creative process. I mean, to be fair, lost. she should win. Yeah. Like, if he's gone on record and said semi-autobiographical... Mm -hmm. That means even if, even if 10 minutes of this performance production is autobiographical, that's still breaching the NDA. The whole thing is semi-autobiographical. Yeah. So the one thing he changed to make the female character in this not his ex-wife is her religion. He made her an atheist as opposed to a Catholic. So <laughs> this is them at the end of their relationship then reflecting on where it went wrong. So we're going to see the start of a relationship the rise so, of it, the fall of it. Last week, when at the end of our producer's episode, yeah. I told you something about this that you clearly don't remember. No. Which is that it's a non-linear... Oh, of course, structure. yes, I do remember that. So the two main characters, Kathy and Jamie. Yes. I think Kathy's the main character. However, that might just be because I identify with her more than Jamie. But, you know, you can decide that when you're watching it. Jamie's story is in true chronological order. Okay. Kathy's story is in reverse chronological order, and they cross over at one point in the middle. Oh, that's really fun. It's really nice. I enjoy it so much. So, this had a very limited cinematic release. Yes, it was a stage show first. That was my next question. Yeah, so it debuted in Chicago in 2001, moved off-Broadway in 2002, so similar kind of time to the producers then. Mm. The producers was 2001. Mm -hmm. Cool. Difference being this 
hasn't been a Broadway show. Hasn't been on Broadway, it's always been off-Broadway. So 2001 it was in Chicago, then it moved to an off-Broadway theatre in 2002. Then it closed at the end of 2002. Then 2005 it opened in Germany. Okay, so to preface this, normally I take all of my notes by hand because that's how I prefer to work. The list of productions of this is so long that if I'd written it down, it would have taken up two pages of my notebook. So I didn't. I've just got it in front of me. Go for it. So where was I? Germany, 2005. 2006, London. 2007, it was at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It sounds like it would be an Edinburgh Fringe performance. Yeah. It's quite stylistic and experimental. Mm. 2009, Barcelona. 2010, Sweden. 2012, Denmark. And then 2013, it had an off-Broadway revival. And then, 2014, the film comes out. And then between 2014 and 2020, it is in Norway, Finland, Denmark, Ireland, Madrid, Poland. Then it came to the West End. Melbourne, Mexico, Barcelona, Israel... Stockholm, Dallas, Texas, Edinburgh Fringe again, Brazil, Syracuse, Edinburgh, Istanbul, and then it should have opened this summer in London. It's a lot of shows. <laughs> so it's kind of one that maybe has adopted a touring method more so, bringing the story to more people that wouldn't have been able to access it and potentially making more money than had it been housed at Broadway. Yeah. Where I get the sense being stylistic and experimental, it's not going to do well on Broadway. I guess Broadway is either diehard actors who see as much as they can because it makes them better, Mm -hmm. or possibly sounding a little uneducated here, but or tourists. People go to New York and Broadway specifically to see it. They definitely make the most money off of tourists. And as a result, this is the sort of thing that I'm not disputing, I will probably enjoy and like, but has probably been critically by musical people mm. said maybe it's not maybe it's not got the best reviews. It's a bit of a marmite musical. Yeah. Whereas I think maybe people from a more theatre background mm. would have better reviews of it. Yeah, definitely. I think and I don't want to sound disparaging against musicals. I like musicals. You're being forced to like musicals. I do like musicals, but I think musicals are the mainstream kind of fair. Yeah. And if you want more substance, you'd have to find a different medium. Yeah. You can get really good storytelling and really good social commentary in musicals. Mm. Well, the, the reason this has been so many places and is so easy to translate to essentially any language and any place you take it is because, first of all, it's about relationships. Everyone should have been there. Everyone can connect to that story. Mm -hmm. And second of all, there's only two characters. So it is the easiest musical to translate to anywhere because there are more uh, orchestra members than there are actors. No, I'm, I'm really intrigued to see this. I do really like stories that are told in a different way. One of the favourite films I remember watching whilst I was doing my university degree was Memento. Yeah. Which I believe is Christopher Nolan. I don't know, I haven't seen it. 
it's essentially telling the story from the end to the start. It starts at the end and just goes backwards in time the whole time. Yeah. And it's a really interesting way to explore story. Hmm. So, when this got turned into a film in 2014, they hired Richard La He'd previously directed The Horse Whisperer, PSLW, Water for Elephants, Beautiful Creatures, and Bridges of Madison County. Beautiful Creatures, was that the one about witches? Like witchy one, yeah. I quite liked that, I read the book. I can't say I've seen any of those films. Have you not? Mum made me go. Water for Elephants was Reese Witherspoon and Robert Pattinson. Yeah, my mum loves that film. You haven't seen PSL, have you? No. Okay. Horse Whisperer is um, Black Widow. Scarlett Johansson. But she's like nine. It's very good. I think. From what I've seen of those films, be it the marketing, the trailers, they don't scream out my genre. I don't know what the right way to phrase it is. I think they're female gaze films. Yeah. And But also concept movies. Yeah. Which is why they hired him to do this. Which makes sense. It's great, it's a great shout if he's got that kind of history, that background working on them. Mm-hmm. Of them, the only one I never really thought about wanting to watch was Water for Elephants. Because yeah. I like Reese with a spoon. And I like Arbaz. Water Spoon. You'd like Water for Elephants, I think, anyway. It's in a circus. Yeah. It's sad. Our Pats is like a circus boy who trains the elephants. Kind of, yeah. Oh, sure. So it's workout regime for Batman. Yeah. So, anyway, my point was most of those are kind of concept movies, and they are quite, like you say, female gays. But the Greveness, when he took over as director, he had a very long conversation with Jason Robert Brown about how he can't make a film that has two characters in it who never meet on stage. Because in the stage show, the way that we know that the two storylines are going in opposite directions is that Kathy and Jamie are never on stage together except for one scene. So we understand that they're going in two different directions. In the film... Because it's a movie and we have background characters and it's set in a city and, you know, we meet all of the different characters that they talk about in the songs, who we don't meet on stage, uh, Le Graveness said, no, I, they have to be on camera together. That's the only way this is going to work as a film is if we have both of them in scenes together because the audience will not understand it in that same way yeah. as they do on the stage. It won't translate. So... For that, they are just in scenes together and you have to be paying a lot more attention to realise that their narratives are going in different directions. Okay. So, when was he sued for this? Uh, 2001, when it came out. So, how has he been allowed? Because he changed Kathy's character background. So, he changed... So, what, he just dropped... So, is this where you said he made her an atheist and that was enough? So... O'Neill, his actual ex-wife, is Irish Catholic. Yes. And he just made Kathy American, like a New Yorker. And was that enough to, to be okay? Yeah. Because he doesn't use her name anywhere, and, and he doesn't use his name anywhere. It's just similar enough to their lives that... That he even admitted it was Samuel to biographical. Yeah, basically. Which is why I say, why would you admit to that? You have a divorce agreement that says that you cannot use anything from your relationship 
in your world. It just feels very weird to me that if that happened in 2001 when it debuted, why has it been allowed to keep touring? Because they settled. They settled. Yeah. So she must get some profits from this or either... I would hope so. Yeah. I, I would hope that she must get some money from this. Yeah. That's okay. interesting. I've told you a lot about this one. Not anything about the plot or the characters, but the fact that it is running in two different timelines. I don't know whether that's going to affect how you watch it. I think so. You think it will? Yeah. Okay. I think you've essentially told me this is based on a fair marriage. So now based I'm on a be, divorced couple, yeah. Now I'm going to be watching it with the assumption that even if it doesn't end with them failing, mm. I think I'm going to know that in the back of my mind. So I'm going to be waiting to see kind of the trigger point of what yeah. made it fail. So Jamie's story starts at the beginning. Kathy's story starts at the end. Yeah. So you're not going to have to wait long to see it fail. <laughs> no, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I clearly got this one... I got this one you, right, you right in the sense yeah. of it chronicles a relationship. Yeah. Potentially at the end, so I'm kind of pleased with that. I, I don't just... think there's a whole lot more you could have. No, I think to be honest, when you keep telling me about this one, I think of the five-year engagement. I haven't seen that. And that's basically was my basis for okay, so they must be similar. Something goes on five years, so if you're ever reflecting like that, maybe it's not for a good reason. Sure. So I don't know. I have one more thing to tell you about this before we go and watch it, which is that it was filmed in 2013. Yeah. Released in 2014. Principal photography started it on June the 17th, 2013, which we had a conversation the other day about what principal photography means. I might have got it wrong, but I'm assuming, uh, from my knowledge, principal photography is when you send someone out to kind of location scout and and do all the background and do all the backgrounds yeah yeah basically and it wrapped july 16th 2013 so give me the first date again june 17th so less than a month about 30 days yeah films get made quicker than that i mean this got made very quickly well i know there's films that have been made in a week there's a version of much ado about nothing that was filmed at someone's house in like six days I guess, being a musical, you expect it to go longer, mm. because obviously songs, choreography, etc. Yeah. You are dealing with two seasoned Broadway stars yeah. who are clearly professionals and good and know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. But I think that maybe speaks more about it's not going to be a big extravagant musical. Yeah. They've tried to keep it as simple as the stage show. Cool. Well, we're going to see how a relationship broke up today. Yeah, we are. <laughs> I don't know how better we'd sign off. Yeah. Let's see how this man's marriage died. You asked for a serious one. <laughs> Jamie is over and Jamie is gone. Jamie's decided it's time to move on. Jamie has new dreams he's building upon, and I'm still 
hurting. And we are back. We sure are. How, Five years in the future. Yes. How do you feel after watching a slightly more serious musical? It's nice to watch something more serious again. Yeah. It definitely left me thinking. That's interesting. About what? I just, I think it maybe had you told me more about kind of the origins of the show now, hmm. maybe I wouldn't have as much to say. Oh, right, okay. I feel like... This the, is the most I've ever seen you write. Oh, yeah. Days. And it's not just like sentences, like, you know, like a simple sentence, like I usually write. I've written paragraphs. Yeah. And I think that's very telling. One of the things I've heard said before, and I think it's such a true statement, is that history is written by the winner. Yeah. And this is definitely Jason Robert Brown trying to win. Oh, my God, it is. And you said right at the start that you felt that Kathy, Anna Kendrick's character, was our protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I was very curious to kind of, when you said that, I was curious to, to think, like, would I watch it and maybe resonate with Jamie's character more? Like, did you see Kathy as the protagonist because you are... Yeah, am I watching it through a female gaze yeah. and understanding And it? would I disagree with you? Considering this is essentially an argument for a divorce, would I take the man's side? Yeah. So I have two kind of feelings on the non-linear narrative. Right. We see Jamie go from happy to sad. Do we? Well... <laughs> I really okay. dislike him. We see his character essentially yeah. go from being upbeat, the world is oyster, at his fingertips. Yeah. We see him go from that to basically being quite sad. And the colours in the film show when mm-hmm. times are better and when times are sad. Yeah. So tonally, he has become sad sure. at the end. Whether he's actually sad by it or not, that's not for me to say. But yeah. we see him go from happy to sad. Now, is that his comment on what his ex-wife did to him. Yeah. Through the lack of support, as he says, she changed him for the worse. Mm. Whereas we see Kathy go from sad to happy, Mm -hmm. with the exception of the film actually ending with her back at the start, we essentially see her story backwards. So is that him reflecting on how he would rather remember her for the early days before all went south? Or is it him trying to turn back the clock to before her when he was happy? Yeah. Throughout this, and I could be completely wrong, but it does feel very much like he is trying to place all the blame for their divorce on her. Mm -hmm. All of her songs kind of seem to be complaining about the world, yeah. Whereas his songs sing about kind of opportunity that he's giving her. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like he's trying to blame the disintegration of their marriage. Yeah. All on her. That's what he's done with this. That's his version of events. This is him writing 
the history of their relationship, according to him. Yeah. That's how I viewed it, very much. And I agree with you that Anna Kendrick is our protagonist. Thank you. I'm firmly on her side through this, which I think is very interesting. Yeah. It's quite a short show, too. You said it was a two-person show. Typically, it's it's done yeah, it's with just same. two two actors, mm-hmm. which makes sense. Mm-hmm. If this has been performed at places like the Fringe, mm-hmm. I can see this being a Short shorter time. production, which I'm cool with. I think it translates well to yeah. the screen. This is so indie. Oh yeah, for and sure. I love it. Did you yeah. recognise any of the production companies? I've seen the monkey one before. Lucky Monkey. Lucky Monkey, yeah. But other than but that, other no. Than that, no. I don't even know where I've seen the Lucky Monkey one before, though. But this is always nice because we're watching it thinking, usually we watch something it has got, like, Disney or Touchstone, Universal at least, or yeah. something, something familiar. And it's quite nice seeing that this is very unfamiliar. And um, we go straight into it. We, we literally start in media res. Yep. With Kathy at the end. Of their like the complete end of their relationship, yes. the point at which Jamie has left her, and she sings that Jamie wanted to move on, and that his opinion was that it isn't me, it's you. Yeah. Whereas most breakups would be like, oh, it's not oh, you, so it's sorry. me. It's yeah. He's actively blaming her. Mm-hmm. Jamie's just he, does, dis- all the he way does all the way through. Like she sings the line, Jamie decides it. The problems are mine, and Anna. And Kathy is still hurting. Yeah. So she didn't want this breakup to happen. And I think that's really interesting that... Well, the song that is one step before still hurting is See I'm Smiling. Yeah. Where she's saying to him, we can fix this. Oh, yeah. Here's all the things that we need to do and it will be fine. And then they get in a fight anyway. But she thinks that they're going to make steps to fix things. Exactly. So this is this has really come kind of as a shock. But this is what's really interesting. So the rest of this, you could argue, he has lived through all of this mm-hmm. so he can write these songs. When you think about it, if this is how he actually did end his marriage with a note like this, he's fictionalised this section. Yeah. This is the one bit that you could argue is solely fictitious. Yeah. And it speaks volumes over his view of himself that she would be crying over the divorce. She sat in the dark in their apartment, crying and only singing about him. She's not even talking about herself. It's just all about All him. she's saying about herself is how she's hurting. Yeah. I have no time. This is some male nonsense that I have no time for. <laughs> so. Do, do you agree with me, though? Because one of the things I said about when we watched this was, why would he admit to this? Just oh, say I it's agree. a fictional story. Agree. Why would you ever tell anyone? Because I think he's trying to take credit and trying to win the breakup. Mm. That's what I think it is. But I wonder, and I couldn't find anywhere when I was doing research for this, he's very good at not talking about the show. But nowhere in any interviews that I read with him does he say anything about like it maybe being like him villainising himself and feeling bad for it. Because I don't know that you could watch this and not think that Jamie's the bad guy here. 
I agree, but I think he's written it that Jamie's the hero. Yeah, I know. That's what's so weird about this. That but... everything about Jamie screams, I am the hero. Mm-hmm. But his actions are completely otherwise. And it's either yeah. written that way, or it's very much written with him reflecting and saying, I've done this so wrong, and I'm reflecting on my past, and I realise I've done it wrong. Mm-hmm. It could be one of those two things. Perhaps this is from a place of remorse, and this is his creative outlet to say, I did this wrong. Yeah. However, the Jamie that we're presented with in this doesn't seem to care so much about that. He just wants kind of the fame. And if anything, he shows with the Schmall song that he's quite happy to make stories that paint her in a bad light, Mm -hmm. which is what he's done here. One of the things he says later on when he sings Nobody Needs to Know, Mm. flicking right towards the end of the show, one of the things he says is, I need to be in love. And, like, I want, he says, it's like, I want to be in love. I have to be in love. I need to be in love. And, like, all of his ideas for his book are clearly based on his romantic relationship with Kathy. Because when he reads the section from his book yeah. in, like, the middle of the film, one of the things that this, that he's saying in the book was that female character in the book is stopping him from becoming who he wants to be yeah but she was perfect and wonderful so why would she want to do that and it's such a weird like surely Kathy is reading this and thinking why am I dating this man but it's also the irony of having a song called nobody needs to know and yet here he is Mm -hmm. sharing his dirty laundry to everyone yeah because if it is completely I know they said semi-autobiographical, and the only thing I could find with the settlement change was that they changed her from being Irish Catholic to just American. But you can so see that, you know, the fact that in his first song, where he's clearly a Jewish boy who he knows that that mum is not going to like this because he's dating. That's That's an allusion to the fact that she is not Jewish and that her religion is going to be an issue or lack of religion but either way Mm -hmm. it's a thinly veiled comment to you were never right for me yeah yeah it's it's no wonder when they got divorced an nda was put up because if she's lived with him writing these stories or songs about their marriage anyway Her being a creative type as well knows full well what he's going to do with this when it's done. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if these are songs that he's written or performed to her whilst In they the were married. In the same way he does. Yeah, like, you know, the Schmall song he probably has sang to her just changed the names for this musical. Yeah. It's, it's a very weird one. It's very weird. In terms of the cinematography composition of the shots is so beautiful Mm. especially like at the start when they're so slow i'm so used to watching films where we get a cut every few seconds but we have moments here where the camera just stays on anna kendrick's face and doesn't move yeah doesn't cut and that's so beautiful it's really nice to see so i love indie films is that you can do more with your cinematography yeah and yeah we cut Back in time to five years ago, 
presumably the first time they were together. Mm-hmm. Or Shiksa goddess. Shiksa, yeah. It just means not Jewish. I mean, he is simply saying what every girl wants to hear during courting. I'm breaking my mother's heart, grandpa's rolling in his grave. Yeah. And it doesn't deter them. That should be a warning sign to any girl dating someone. Yeah. And he also lists all the Jewish girls he's been introduced to to make his mother proud. I just think it's very interesting lyrics, the way he goes about saying, oh, you could have be a product of your mother and their brother sleeping together or something like that. There are some very weird lyrics Oh, yeah, lyrics he says, if your one. mother and your brother had relations with each other, well, I'd say nobody's perfect. Yeah. And I, I guess it's supposed to be a joke. It is a joke, but given where this comes from, it's a very it's weird... It's really early in their relationship. It <laughs> is. To be saying things like that. But again, given where it comes from post-divorce, mm. is that slander against... No. Their family. So the song Shakespeare Goddess was written in because the original song that was in that place yeah. was called I Could Be In Love With Someone Like You. Okay. And it made more allusions to her. So he changed it to Shakespeare Goddess because that's him talking about himself. Okay, so this is the thing. I was going to ask later on, has much of this been changed since its original one? No. But I do think there's a line that must be different. Like there's there's a commentary oh, later on in the play. Say. It's yeah. the Russell Crowe line. Yeah. They these are the people who cast Russell Crowe in a musical. Mm-hmm. So I did a little bit of research before we, we started recording and I can't see any evidence of Russell Crowe doing a musical until Les Mis in 2012. Yeah, this film came out in 2014. No, but that's my point is Oh yeah. The original so, version of this was 2001. The original so, person is Linda Blair who was in The Exorcist. Yes, but she played Rizzo in 1994, Greece. Okay, so he's changed the reference to be more modern. Fair. So he hasn't changed it. He actually doesn't know who changed it. Okay. He accredits it to Anna Kendrick, <laughs> but nobody knows where that came from. No, I mean, obviously, I, I know that this is 2014, Lamus is 2012. Mm. That made me wonder, has much more of this changed... Or was it just a one throwaway line? There's I'm... one other line that's changed. Yeah. Which is in I Can Do Better Than That. Yeah. Where she sings, I met a guy in a class I was taking with some very well-placed tattoos. Yeah. And that used to be who you might say looked like Tom Cruise. But they changed it because Jason Robert Brown thought maybe Tom Cruise wasn't like the standard for male attractiveness anymore. Fair, I can get that. In 2014, so he just changed it to tattoos. I'm all all for these changing references. Yeah, if you're going to have some weird references in. Yeah, because this is... I I wouldn't necessarily know much about Linda Blair and Rizzo. Mm. But I think at this point in time, everyone knows about Russell Crowe and the controversy of his Javert. Yeah, there's only one more change they make. Yeah. Which is when she sings Summer in Ohio. Mm-hmm. She sings, I saw your book at a Target in Kentucky. The original one is at a Borders in Kentucky. Because Borders, Borders guys, yeah. Because so, obviously the timeline of this has changed, that this is set in 2011 at times. So. Yeah, it's 20, 2008 to 2013. Which is sure. fine, you know, you're going to have to change your references. That's cool. That makes sense to me, and I'm happy with it. I just wondered if it was one thing that changed, or if more things have changed. It's literally just little things to be placed around the new timeline. Yeah. 
I do, yeah, I do think that there's so much of this where he's just using the narrative to humanise his side and try to make us back him. Mm. And we then go to the second Anna Kendrick scene of See I'm Smiling. And I love that song. Yeah, that song's great. And it's very musical theatre as well. Mm. I think some of the other songs you could see being released as a Taylor Swift album. Summer in Ohio is the one you're thinking of. Which I'm also curious. You mentioned last week that there is a song from this that's on the band list, the Do Not Sing list. Yeah. Is that Summer in Ohio? No. Oh, okay. I thought for sure that would be I was going to ask you that later on. If it's not that, what do you think it is? What do you think is the quintessential musical theatre girl singing her heart out with all of her emotions? I can do better than that? No, it's still hurting. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair. I'll show you the... There's a really good video on YouTube of a girl at 54 Below, which is a musical theatre bar, yes. singing the Do Not Sing list, and she opens with, Jamie is over and Jamie is gone, and it's so funny. Because she's just singing all these songs that you're not allowed to sing at auditions. Yeah. Well, not even not allowed, like, it's taboo to sing at auditions, and that's just a really funny one. Because, like, there's not a whole lot you can do with that song. No. No. Like, it's, I like it. It's, it's nice. a beautiful song. Mm. I thought for sure it would be Summer in Ohio. I felt that was the most musical. I love that song. But See I'm Smiling was a really interesting take on it because given what we know from mm. the first song, we're still hurting, that the problems are her. Yeah. The problems are her, I say in you know, quotations. He says the problems are her, yeah. This is kind of interesting to see. Like, this is the calm before the storm. Yeah. That we're kind of seeing here what might be the, the final straw. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything about her that's being unreasonable. She's glad he came. I'm 100% on her side. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I said to you, is this place significant to them? Because she was surprised he came. And obviously it's because she's got another string of performances at Ohio. She goes there every summer to do some Ohio performances. Theater, yeah. And she keeps singing, we're doing fine. And I'm thinking, okay, long-distance relationships are a struggle. I get yeah. that. You know, it must be very difficult. He's clearly in one place. She's clearly in another place. Mm-hmm. It's her birthday, and he's not even staying for the night. He's going straight off to be with his friends. It's not even his friends. It's just, like, producer people after party. Yeah. Kind of function. But her outburst in the song. Yeah, where he calls her crazy. And then she stops. And that's the bit where it comes really musical. But it's so tragic. And I feel like he's trying to give this as exhibit A as to why I had no other choice. Because she's crazy. Yeah. But no, actually, it's fully on her side. She's listening everything he should be doing as a good husband, as a good partner. And obviously, we're going to learn later on, spoiler alert, he is cheating on her. Yeah, and she knows. So the fact that he's treating this like she's crazy when actually she's fully in the right and knows what's going on and calling him out mm-hmm. i felt very bad for anna for Catherine. <laughs> i felt very bad i for did this every week <laughs> I, I felt but this isn't me mocking it like it no, was with raul in edward yeah yeah <laughs> this is me genuinely making the mistake of it yeah, well, my favourite, the ending of that song is gorgeous, where she says, oh, what's the lyric? I guess I'll never really understand how you could stand there straight and tall and see I'm crying and not do anything at all. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, that line is so nice. Because he's just, he's not doing anything. No, he isn't. He doesn't care about her anymore. He's already resigned himself at that point. I'm going to ditch you, so it doesn't matter what you say to me. Mm -hmm. When we go back and forth, there are always subtle things that help you kind of figure out what's going on, that the time has shifted. And I think one of the best things is Jeremy Jordan's hair. Mm -hmm. Like his young, carefree hairstyle to his grown-up professional hairstyle it's like slicked back yeah it's yeah. one of the things that's really subtle but really good you don't have that so much with Kathy's hair no her hair kind of stays the same she ties it up more when she's younger yeah but as her timeline goes we obviously have the 63 weeks bestseller list to the 33 weeks mm. but with Jamie's character the change in hairstyle is so good and also the change in clothing yeah, he gets a proper tailored suit. And yes. He starts dressing more like what you kind of envision a classical novelist would dress like. Yeah. As opposed to sort of scruffy 20-something who writes books. And moving too fast is really good because I think it shows his perspective on the matter. Obviously, they're moving in together, but this is only because he's got a book deal. Yeah. Now, I love that song. Yes. However... I've never understood the staging of it. The part that I don't understand in it is he's singing that everything is moving too fast, but isn't really acknowledging it in any real way. Because it's a man making an excuse as to why things broke down later on. Yes. I guess the idea being that, well, if you didn't want to move in with me, why didn't you say so? Oh, it was just all moving too fast. And I didn't realise it until now. I guess. Yeah, fair enough. Knowing um, that this is written in hindsight. Yes. I think the character at the time appears to be singing about his career, mm-hmm. not necessarily his romantic life. It's the excitement of, wow, this is all moving on really too fast. Yeah. But it's a thinly veiled critique of his relationship as well, I think. Mm-hmm. I do think this show does a great job at capturing like the beauty of blossoming romance, but also the pain of growing apart yeah because the moments when we're back in time and seeing how it started everything is so amazing Mm -hmm. you can forgive his flaws because i think you understand their sort of whirlwind romance exactly but you can also kind of feel this pain as things do just deteriorate at the end he's got the whole world in his hands Kathy, not so much. No. And at the end of that song, that's when we kind of get the idea that he is already on a socially superior level to her. He's winning adulthood compared to her. And there's a discrepancy between their standings. Yeah, and I think they do a really good job of making you feel that and understand it because I think if you... Like, she is jealous. However, she's also jealous from a point of support. Oh, yeah. And she isn't saying anything to him about it. She never once says anything to him to say, like, oh, well, I want to be, I want to be this successful too, and your your success makes me feel bad. That only ever comes from him. Oh, exactly. She never once brings that up. No, and when we have a part of that, he's having a success and she's there on the sidelines 
she's not critiquing him she's happy to play her part mm -hmm. but inside there's that jealousy maybe which she internalizes she never tells him because because think, why would she do that to him yeah and she, i think she's aware that's her fault mm. for feeling that way it's something she's going to work on yeah so it's not relevant to bring it up to him mm. and i get the sense in her songs that kathy is more in love with him than he is her 100 percent. and i wonder again is this jason's view of the marriage that he was so great and she had the right to more space because you know he was successful yeah maybe i could see that but when she sings, I'm a part of that, I wondered, was it a question or a statement? Because it sounds like, yeah. it sounds, I'm a part of that. But is she? And she's starting to realise, am I actually part of his life or am I an accessory to him? Yeah, because the last line is, and I'm a part of that, aren't yeah. I? And she's sat on her own while he's at a party. Yeah, and he hands her like this book and is like, finish this yeah, he hands her his manuscript, which is a huge book. She reads the whole thing. He's gone to bed and is asleep. She sat with the lamp on reading this giant novel and then finishes it, put, like turns it back over, sees that it's dedicated to her and is just sat there with her glass of wine. Like, she's not happy about it. No. She clearly didn't enjoy his book because yeah. his book is obviously about this woman that can't be successful next to this successful man. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and he, it's very much more case of he doesn't love her. Mm. She's an accessory or also just something that makes his life easier somehow. Like, that's what he sees her as. It's something to validate his success. Yeah, she's a bit of a muse to him more than anything. A muse, but also, I think, a barometer that, like, he can look back at her no matter when he's feeling low or not and know, well, at least I've made something of myself. Yeah. Even if he'd never say that directly. He totally would, though. Well, he does with the, the Schmuel song. Like, it's so catchy and it's so oh. irritating. It's a good song for character building, but I hate the kind of content and message behind it. Because mm. she comes in depressed and tired, she's worked a hard shift, and he's just like, why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do this? Yeah. And she's got every right to just sit on the sofa, straight in from work, and unwind. And he's like, no, sit up, listen to this song I wrote, or listen to this story I, I've, I've written. Mm -hmm. And he's tampering with all her things. And it's such... It, he, he forces her to listen when she's not interested. When she can imagine her life is just listening to all his ideas, yeah. and nodding and smiling and encouraging. God help her if she ever said something bad or critiqued him. Yeah. And he's mocking her. You can see where in this song, his attitude is, I am trying to encourage you to be the best you can be. But it's just mocking her for being lazy or being inconsistent. Yeah. And exactly. at the end of it, when she's all happy dancing along, this is his impression that's like, yeah, see, I'm a good person. I lift her up. He's trying to validate everything he's done in this relationship. Yeah. And he's done it all wrong. He's 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 treated her badly but he's trying to justify it mm -hmm. well one of the things that he says right at the very end jumping forwards again yeah. i'm sorry but in his i can never rescue you yeah what the title of that says everything why does he feel like he needs to rescue her 
and he he's blaming it on her and saying you needed me to rescue you you've always wanted me to rescue you from yourself oh, yeah. but i could never do it i just loved you yeah so it's your fault that you're you're not rescuing yourself she isn't asking him to she's not asking him to do any of that she's asking him to be a good person <laughs> no that's exactly it it's he just likes the idea of being hero and provider yeah but he likes the idea of it more than the actual execution of it. Oh, definitely. You know, he's thinking it's all really great because I could do this, 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 and this. Yeah. And he romanticizes that lifestyle in his head. Mm-hmm. But when push comes to shove, he can't deal with it. He can't cope with it. Yeah, no. And she does figure out he's mocking her at this song. Yeah. She may be smiling. But she's not enjoying it. No, she's not. She's um, she's doing such a good job, Anna Kendrick, of doing the I'm just humouring you smile. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And it's a weird one that at least this song ends nicely with him saying, here's a good provider for some headshots and here's auditions that you'd be great for all of them. Mm-hmm. But it just ties into this narrative of I'm the hero here to save you from yourself. Yeah, and he also, in that song, says to her, you're not going to go back and work at the bar anymore. You're going to quit, and you're going to spend all of your time doing what you want to do, because I can provide for you now. I'm making lots of money. Which is not the right attitude, because she probably doesn't want to be provided for. It's quite nice for her to have an income that she works for. Mm. Based on how this character is presented... She's really hardworking and ambitious. Exactly. The other thing at the end of that song, it's set at Christmas, and (laughs) he gives her a watch. And I've never understood this. I've seen a lot of romance movies. My mum is a particular fan of uh, the Romance 24-7 channel, which then becomes Christmas 24-7, which is the best TV channel. But people give their girlfriends or like girls they're interested in watches all the time, and I've never understood why that's romantic. <laughs> like, I don't get a get her a bracelet. Does she need a watch? Yeah. Is the whole point like so, I? He sings this whole that. song about his magic clock, and then gives her a watch at the end, and is like, "I'm gifting you time, so that you have the time to go and be an actor." Yeah. It's like okay, good for you. <laughs> So we're in Ohio. Yeah. And... The start of the long-distance relationship. Yeah, the start of the long-distance relationship, where this is the closest thing she ever has to a big break. Mm, somewhere she, in Ohio. Yeah, she's she's doing a great job in a very small part of the world. Yes. So the, the way that the Ohio theatre works is they're there for the whole summer. Yeah. For two or three months, and they do four shows. There. Yeah, because we see that there's a montage of the people she's working with, and mm-hmm. we have Ohio's Alive with the sound of Kendrick. Yep. Ohio's Alive <laughs> with the sound of Kendrick. And her terrible Maria wig, which is horrible. Like, horrifying. I'm, I'm surprised they got away with that as a kind of throwaway reference in this film. Like, I'm not. Because they're referencing a real thing. Yeah. Like, it's supposed to be realism. Oh, agreed. I agree. But to actually get away with showing something as iconic in their style of Maria up on the hill with With exactly the same dress on. Exactly. Yeah. And the same kind of sweeping camera angle. Okay, I see what you mean. Like, it's obviously 
a very, very famous shot that anyone would be able to recognise. Yeah. But I'm surprised they didn't just keep it on the stage as opposed to what they did with it. And I wonder how much clearance they had to go through to get that. Like, this probably didn't have that big a budget, but most of that budget must have been on getting that as a reference. You could probably... I imagine they could probably get away with it just from a Jason Brown standpoint, where if he was like, can we reference these? So this being 2011, mm-hmm. and they're kind of freshly married, mm-hmm. later on when it's revealed that he's cheating, yeah. I would assume that that's possibly that 2012, maybe 2013 final Ohio season. Yeah. So things are still fairly good between them at this point. Things are okay between them. Yeah. I really liked the shots that were done via the webcam here. Oh, yeah, it's nice, isn't it? The quality of the camera and the angles changed to feel more like that. Mm. And you definitely get the sense that her songs become more energetic as we go back in time. She's gone from being unhappy and she was seeing her be happy, and I like that her style of song changes. Mm-hmm. But again, it feels more like her songs are just exclusively complaining. Yeah. Like this poor man he's had to put up for five years of this girl nagging him. Yes. Like, that's essentially what he's saying with this song. Yeah, and because we know that it's written by Jamie the real world version of Jamie, that's how he's presenting her as this whiny woman who even from when they started dating complained about everything in her life. Mm-hmm. And isn't he such a saint for putting up with her? And like, no, she's that annoying to break up with her. Yeah. One of my favourite things in Summer in Ohio is we see Betsy Wolf, who is the former stripper and her snake. Mm. She was Kathy in the 2013 revival. That's very cool. Yeah. So she'd have been Kathy at the time they were filming this or Yeah. Which is really cool that she That she's in it, yeah. Is referenced in it. And then we also have a reference later on to the original Kathy. Oh, is this the casting director? Yeah, the female casting director, the original Kathy, is um Sherry Renee Scott. Yeah. And she played Kathy in the two thousand one. Two thousand two off Broadway. Okay. That's so really first... awesome. New York one. So we get to the proposal mm-hmm. sequence, which must be the one scene in the play where they interact with one another. Yeah, it's the crossover. They're both in on the stage for this scene. And I think it's also clear because it's the one time they sing together. There's two things that they sing together. So well, it's sing... the first time. Yeah, it's the together. first time we see them sing together, yeah. And... It's so clear that she doesn't seem sold on marriage at this point. Yeah. She knows that something's wrong with this relationship, but isn't quite speaking up. And it feels very much like he's just proposing marriage because, like, why not? That's what you do when you've been with a girl for this long. Yeah. Yeah, she's, she's not happy the entire time that he's proposing. And she even waits... After he proposes, he's expecting her to jump for joy and say, yes, yes, of course I'll marry you. And she gets up and walks away. 
and then comes back and sits down and says, yes, I want to be a wife. But, but not before a like a slow kind of song that talks about the pros and cons of it. Yeah. Again, is it him trying to demonise her and ruining what should be a great moment? Or is it maybe a moment of self-reflection that marriage was never right and they both knew it? I'd be... I'd like to say the second one. Because <laughs> I think at this point, and I said it while we were watching it, that's where they should break up. Yeah. Because they both realise, or Kathy very clearly realises, that it probably isn't a good idea. Yeah. But it's just what you do. You, you, she probably feels like, oh, you can't break up the guy that's just proposed to you. But also, if it's not right now, will it ever be right? No. You know, there'll always be a reason to say no. Mm-hmm. So why not just say yes now and hopefully it'll work out? Yeah. This would have been the end of Act 1, I can imagine. And I started to think to myself, it'd be really interesting to see his fall now. Because all we've ever experienced is... Perfect Jamie. Perfect Jamie. So it'd be really interesting to see his fall. Because even when it's been Anna Kendrick's perspective, yeah. we haven't seen imperfect Jamie. Mm-hmm. But in seeing happy-go-lucky Jamie, we've also seen a lot of Anna Kendrick's side of the story. Yeah. So I was kind of knowing what we get when it got to happier Kathy, but I had no idea what to expect from sad Jamie. sad Jamie. And I thought it was really clever to repeat the scene with the song replaced, with Anna Kendrick now singing the exact same lines as Jeremy Jordan's song. Yeah. And I wondered if it was going to be like a repeat of that memory. Is it that same moment, but from her perspective? Because he's distant at that point in time. Yeah. And I wondered if that was her remembering the same day. And how distant he was distant leading he was up to him leading. proposing. Yeah. yeah. We didn't see the full scene, so I don't know if that was him then proposing or not. They're wearing the same things. They are wearing the same things. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really interesting. I'd have loved to have seen that whole scene again. From her perspective. From her perspective. Yeah. With him perhaps being distant, you know, almost a, well, we might as well. Yeah, that is kind of how it comes across, though. Oh, yeah. But... He feels far more like the hero in that scene finally proposing, and I'd love to see her perspective. Yeah. And immediately, when we get his next song, which is When You Come Home To Me, A Miracle Would Happen, Mm -hmm. he dislikes marriage, and he dislikes the whole being popular with the ladies. Straight away, he's been married maybe five minutes, and he's, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, I'm happy. Yeah. It's not a problem, it's a challenge to resist temptation. He literally says his opening of that song where he's still talking is they all say that when you get married, you suddenly become attractive to women. And he says, that's not true. You only become attractive to the kind of women you wanted to sleep with before who wouldn't give you the kind of day, the time of day. Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> he is longing for single life. Yeah. And he has Kathy in the background of all of these scenes, but there's one part where he's at a, a stripper bar. Yeah. Sat in between two guys who have women stripping for them, and he doesn't have a woman in front of him. And it's, I assume, supposed to be like, well, he's married, so he can't, but look, look how much me, he I'm wants I'm such it. a good husband. I'm staying faithful oh because it's the right thing to do. And yeah, this is when I really started to notice he likes the idea of being a provider and a hero more than the actual execution of it. Yeah. He's like, look at me, I've married you. Yes. Like, I'm your husband now, look how great I am. I have given you the ultimate sacrifice, now sacrifice yourself for me. Yeah. 
and he's just really obnoxious and unlikable, mm-hmm. which is a testament to Jeremy Jordan, because I found him very likable yeah. in Newsies. He comes across as a nice dude. Yeah, and I feel like this is very opposite of him as a person. Yeah, I, I always think that if if a performer can make me hate them, oh yeah, they're doing a really good job. So, we go back in time to Kathy auditioning, and yes. she's trying out for Avenue Q. She's not, she's not trying out for Avenue Q. She's standing on the set of Avenue Q yeah. because Jason Robert Brown knew the director at the time and said, oh, can we just borrow your theatre for filming this? Because they, they only had to be in there for like a couple of hours in the morning to film. Yeah, it wouldn't have taken them long for her to film that. No. <laughs> we get the casting director to go, that was lovely. That's the original. Oh, yeah. Topic. It's also me when I'm auditioning students. That was lovely. lovely. That was lovely. <laughs> Meaningless. That was lovely. And she walks out thinking, I've got it. I feel really positive. Presumably she didn't get it. No. And Oh, that's also where we see Jason Robert Brown. Yes, and he comes back a little bit later, which yeah. I'm going to talk about something funny that I thought then. Yeah. So we get a really nice transition to how the priorities have changed because Jamie... Mm-hmm is talking about how I'm proud of you, I'll be able to finish this chapter, I've got random house breathing down my neck, to then, but still, very congratulatory, to then the same kind of start with him just ignoring her completely and just focusing on yeah. his, his his writing. Once he ran to you, now he runs from you. Lame. Is the basic premise of his section of the song there. Yeah. He used to do everything to be with her and support her, now, not so much. Did he? Because well, I feel like... from his perspective. Yeah, but I feel like she spends the entire show chasing him. Yeah. Which is sad. And like you say, she was, she's obviously more into him than he is yeah. to her. Um, then we have the audition sequence. I the think that this is a really good representation of what it must be like for a young actor auditioning. Especially in Broadway. Yeah. And... I really like this song in the way that obviously she's not singing that to everyone else when she's talking about their views, but I love the internal monologue of it. Yep. Don't look at my shoes, look at my face. She also says, why does this pianist hate me so? And it's because... It's Jason Robert Brown. (laughs) Yeah, you're his lazy ex. That's why he hates you. My favourite thing is he's playing he's the accompanist for the for her audition and she hands him the sheet music and while he's playing he's like squinting at it just looking at sheet music that he wrote i know trying to figure out how to play it properly it's a really nice moment and yeah i just couldn't help but laugh at that line because yeah there's a reason he hates you yeah but yeah i just thought with the way she talks about how all the i've been up since five and I'm now in a line with girls who are thinner than me and prettier than me who have already already been been to the gym gym and they're already wearing the same dress but wearing it better than me. Mm -hmm. You get a real sense of how difficult and cutthroat this life is. The dress she's wearing is the dress she was making in the show song. And, like, why... How do other girls have your dress if you made your dress? Perhaps it's a casting decision for this role that she's gone for. Because the dress she was making was pink, this one was red. Yeah, but it's the same pattern and everything. Yeah. It's just a weird choice. Perhaps it's just quirky girl outfit number one. Yeah, 50s style housewife dress. It's This is the song we get the reference to. These are the people who cast Russell Crowe in a musical. What? Yeah, why am I trying so hard? These are the people that cast Russell Crowe in a musical. Yeah. Great and 
it becomes clear because we then go to show their argument. If I didn't believe in you. Yes. I hate that song. Oh, it's it's delicious. It's it's where we see him really becoming yeah. the antagonist. And it's clear she doesn't want to be a girl who's dependent on her man. Yeah. She wants that independence, not because it is in not because it's particularly important to her, just because she hates feeling it. Yeah, and she's got every right to. And this argument is very much him saying, come to my function, support me. And her being accurate, you put me on the sidelines, you exploit me whilst I'm there. I'm, I'm not, your waitress for yeah, the whole night. I'm not doing this anymore. Why does she need to go with him? I understand that maybe in... Public image... Yeah, that your wife comes to all these functions with you. Because I think you've got to remember, this is this is Jamie's book, but it would have been Jason's musical. Mm-hmm. So image is everything. Yeah. And if you know you've got your big event where you're unveiling maybe this musical you've worked on, mm-hmm. and your wife is there, but your wife is now noticeably absent. Yeah, she's been to everything else. It's public image. This is where he says to her as well about, I will not fail so that you can feel better about yourself. Yeah, I will not fail so you can be comfortable. I will not lose so you can win. Yeah. And when has she ever said to him anything to do with that? Like we were saying earlier is she does feel like jealous and that is something that she's dealing with herself. She never once says anything to him about it. And here he is picking at it. Yeah. He's just trying to guilt her. Mm. If I didn't believe in you, if I'm cheering on your side, Kathy, why aren't you on mine? Yeah. All of this song is him (laughs) complaining and him being bitter that she didn't sing his praises. He's blaming on her insecurities. Mm -hmm. And he knows exactly where to pick to hurt her as well. And it's vicious the way he slaps the side. Mm -hmm. It is... And you do get a really beautiful shot here, which is horrible, but him almost begging her and he can't see her wiping the tears off her face. Yeah, she's silently sobbing Yeah, because he's just taken every single insecurity she has about their marriage and their relationship and her job and just pulled it all apart. Yeah, you're not good enough for me. Yeah. Now, at this point, I'm starting to think, if this is him talking about his life post his first musical. Mm-hmm. He's talked about being tempted. Is this him admitting to affairs with people in the theatre industry as well? I don't know. Which, he has an affair, multiple affairs in this story, mm-hmm. with people in the, the book publishing world. Yes, one of them that he has an affair with is the secretary yes. for Random House, who was actually Jeremy Jordan's wife. Cool. Yeah. But... The one who's in her bra for no reason. If we can imagine that then, let's flip this and put it in a real autobiographical location of him having affairs with theatre production personnel. Yeah. That's only going to make her life more difficult to cut getting roles. He's actually sabotaging her. Don't think she was an actress. Okay. Yeah. She's... Was she the writer and he's just flipped the two careers on their heads? Well, I don't know what she did because she's not a public figure. She doesn't have like anything about her when you look her up. The only way you can find her is in connection to this, where 
it's say, saying about. Or maybe she is a creative person, but she didn't make it like this show says. Yeah, and this is him rubbing it in her face. That's just like, look at how far I've made it compared to you. It's interesting. But I did wonder, is his him admitting to affairs with people in real life? Yeah, the only thing she's ever done, Teresa O'Neill, was she's been on nine episodes of Late Night with Conan O'Brien, but she was a researcher for him, for, like, his show. I do think the songs are so well written. Mm -hmm. For all the things I'm saying about Jason Robert Brown, Mm -hmm. I'm aware this is almost character assassination, which I'm not intending it to be. Yeah. He has written a very good musical. Mm. The, the the songs, the orchestra are phenomenal. Yeah. And I really liked We Can Do Better, which, or I Can Do Better Than That, which is Kathy's mm. backstory. Mm-hmm. And it's that early courting with Jamie. And it's that part in your relationship where you're comfortable enough to start sharing your baggage. Yeah. We're still early, but there's a level of comfort. And I think that this is one of the hardest parts of a new relationship yeah. is sharing your baggage and talking about your past experiences. It's, it's other than making that first move to discuss feelings, you know, that initial, I like you, do you like me stage? Mm-hmm. I think this is the hardest part of a new relationship. Because obviously she talks about her ex, the one with the bad tattoos and the fact he left her with a note on the side. Yeah. There's always a worry when you meet someone new, when do you bring up your exes? Because it's like that dark cloud always hovering over you. It's inevitable. You have to talk about your exes at some point and what led you to being single. Yeah. And I think they do a really nice job of capturing that moment and kind of... Yeah, especially because like. Jamie sat there like, oh, well, he sounds like he sucks. But also, <laughs> like, you get a real sense of jealousy, like another man was with you before me. Like he's Meanwhile, got... in his first song, he names about 20 girls. Yes, but there's a, that other kind of difference of male... What's your number? What's your number thing? versus the female one. So dumb. It is. But I think this is a really nice song and it... Is a, it's again? It's another lovely moment where we show the blossoming new relationship, mm-hmm. and it's summer and it's all bright and colourful. Yeah, and they're so in love. Compared to the changing colours when everything's dark blues and greys. Yeah, of the later on, and then we go to nobody needs to know, where we learn he has cheated, and the reveal in this is great because. It could be Kathy. It could be Kathy. It's similar hair. We only see the back of her head and she turns and it's not her. Yep. And we are really seeing the dark side of Jamie here. Mm-hmm. You know, even when we see it from Kathy's perspective, when he goes to visit her at the camp, when they're doing the long distance camp. The theatre camp. It's not, basically what it is. Yeah, it's like um, public theatre. Yeah, but he's gone to see her and they're, you know, on this boardwalk here thing. Mm-hmm. And even then, when they're about to break up, he doesn't seem like that bad a guy. He's gone there, he's still trying to kiss her and be affectionate. Yeah. But 
he doesn't seem that bad. And we see here that this is going on at the same time as all of that. He's nasty. Yeah. And I can't believe you would own up to this. Saying this is autobiographical, semi-autobiographical, and have this as a moment in there. Yeah. And I think the worst thing is saying it's semi-autobiographical means parts of it are fictional. Yes. But he's never said which parts. No, agreed. So personally, that leads me to believe that none of it is fictional. Mm -hmm. Because if you're going to say it's semi-autobiographical, but then not be specific about what parts are real, then you're lying. Like, all of it's real. Yeah. And then, yeah, you cheated. So I hate you. <laughs> the way the cheating is represented... With the three girls. It's like it's Kathy's fault for driving him to this by being too busy with her life and not supporting him. Yeah. It's that horrible male excuse of, you didn't give me what I needed, so I found it elsewhere. Yeah, and he's not even talking about the sexual part of it. He's talking about the love part. Yeah. Because... This is the song where he says, I need to be in love. So for him to be able to write, he needs to be able to feeling, he needs to be feeling these huge emotions. And Kathy isn't making him feel in love anymore. So he's gone and found love elsewhere. Yeah. With three random women. But. Oh, not random women. Well, one of them's Jeremy John's wife. So. Well, one of them is, is the receptionist. I got the sense that one of the, do you remember there was that girl he met very early on who had that nice office? His, uh, Publisher. Yeah, yeah one, one of them her. her. Yeah. So it's the secretary, the publisher, and a girl that was in the uh, bar. Yeah, these aren't random women to him. These are more women that we've shown are some yeah. significance to him. The worst one is the the woman that he met in the bar, where he's singing about how difficult it is to talk to women because Kathy's always going to know. Oh, and he's flirting her, but Kathy's there, and yeah. it's oh, it's that's horrible. one of them is her, and that's. This line does have a very this song does have a very nice line of put on my armor. Where he's putting his suit and tie on. Which is very true. I think that he's gone to have a difficult conversation and he's putting on this happy face, this mask, he's trying to make it look like everything is normal. Yeah. I've had breakups in the past where I have deliberately dressed my best. I've maybe broken up in my life with two people. Right. How many people have broken up with you? <laughs> a lot more. Okay. <laughs> well, I'd say... I would say 25% of the time I've broken up with a person, 75% of the time they've broken up with me. Sure. It's kind of that. I'm not going to ask what your catchment number is. No, no, no. That, it's but... <laughs> I haven't had many relationships. Right that I would count as boyfriend, girlfriend, breaking up. It's just kind of, you know, maybe I've had flings that fizzle out. Sure. In terms of relationships where there is a definitive breakup conversation, Sure. I would say I've maybe had two conversations, 25% of the time is me <laughs> breaking up with the person. That's what I'd say. So if you can do the math, which I know you can't do, no, I can give you those numbers. I definitely can't do the math on that. I've not had the conversation much, but times I have, I know I've dressed up for the occasion <laughs> to make myself look nice. Nice. Yeah. It's a strength. Why? Thing. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of a 
I guess I feel it, my best so I can do this. Yes, I, guess. I think it's a building the strength to do it. Okay. You know, with both of these breakups, it had been a long time coming. So I know not to trust you if you suddenly start dressing nice. I always dress nice. What are you talking <laughs> about? You attracted to it, so I always suppose. <laughs> This, it, it, it's more a case of both of these breakups had been a long time coming. Yeah. And this was me empowering myself to get through it. Sure. The other breakups where maybe I knew they were coming, I didn't necessarily dress for the occasion because I was just like, let's just do this, let's get it done. Mm -hmm. So I liked that idea. It's a vulnerability thing, like you're a very vulnerable person dealing with emotions, like putting on armour. Yeah. It's a nice metaphor. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've never been broken up with in person, so. Oh, oh that's so sad. <laughs> I know, but that's why I hate Jamie in this so much, is he and the, the guy that she was dating before Jamie's, they both write her a letter and leave. Yeah. And that's the most asshole move. I think you can pull is at least have the guts to tell her to her face that you're leaving. But this is especially why it annoys me when he leaves a note. Because that's already happened to her. Because it's already happened to her and she has said it. She brought yeah. up, I'm assuming she's got more exes than the guy with the bad tattoos. Yeah. But she's brought up that because he's the most recent ex. Yeah. She wasted a year of her life on him and he broke up in such poor fashion that she has got kind of That's paranoia yeah. of that in mind. I told you what my baggage was yeah. when we got together and kind of what would be my worst way, should you have ever broken up with me, <laughs> what would be the worst way to do it? Yeah. And you've said the same to me, we're aware of that. Mm -hmm. If there's ever a day where you do, as long as you do it respectfully, fine. But I don't... that you think I'll be dumping you. <laughs> I'm not breaking you. up with you. I know what sure. you're planning on doing. Um, but, yeah, it makes it even worse. Like you say, him leaving a note, especially when they're married. Yeah. And knowing how bad that is for her history, it makes him even more obnoxious. I have two things to say about this. The first one is he says in his letter to her, I got Linda to help me pack my bags. That's his literary agent who he slept with. Yeah. Not agent, sorry, publisher who he slept with. And the other thing is, of course he writes her a letter. That's his whole character. Is like, oh, I'm a writer. I bet Jason Robert Brown wrote her a song when he wrote yeah. up with her. Like, There's a CD to play. Yeah. Like, that's how it comes across as like, oh, here is my last great work for you to read. But especially letter. because he blames her. He says, like, you didn't notice the cracks. Yeah, it's your fault. You didn't yeah. realise how broken It's I that one-sided argument, which, of course, you're going to win, which this musical is all just one side of an argument yeah. of him saying, this is why we're breaking up. It's your fault. Yeah. Which, Jamie decides it's his right to decide. Yeah. Which she obviously references in the very first song, Still Hurting. Mm -hmm. The dynamic, though, throughout this whole film between Anna Kendrick and Jeremy Jordan yeah. is so lovely. And you really do get the sense, even though the narrative is so non-linear, mm -hmm. you have kind of got the sense that there has been a five-year relationship between these two. There's a lovely familiarity between them. When they're at their best, you're rooting for them. When they're at their worst, yeah. you feel for them. 
Blood Brothers is one of my favourite shows that I've studied and taught because I do love non-linear narrative. Yeah. You know, we start... Blood Brothers non-linear? Yeah. Start, Did you yeah. hear the story of the Johnston twins as like each other as two new things? That's narration. Of one womb born on the selfsame day, one was kept and one given away. And did you ever hear how the Johnstons died, never knowing that they shared one name till the day oh. they died when a mother cried, my own dear sons lie slain? Right, so the same as Sweeney Todd. At the very start, that's the first visual we get. And the first bit of text is them dead in the centre, the aftermath of the shooting with... Mrs. Johnston in tears and the narrator saying that. The last time I saw that, I was maybe 16. I think it was GCSE drama. I was supposed to see it in April because it came to a local place nearby. But it's... Teacher chaperone. (laughs) But it's such a brilliant play. And I love that because then the whole play, you're left in this state of wondering what's going to happen. How do we get there? Yeah, well, it's this, like I say, it's the same as Sweeney Todd, which Jason Robert Brown claimed as being one of his influences, Sweeney Todd opens with Attend the Tale of Sweeney Todd, which Mm -hmm. has two meanings. The first one is literally attend, come to the theatre and listen to this story. And the other meaning of attend, which is learn from. Yeah. And they basically describe what happens in that that opening song. So that makes sense. But we do finally have the closure. As much closure as we're going to get from still hurting to this point, we finally Mm -hmm. figured out why he's had enough. Yeah. And what he said in his letter to her. Mm-hmm. We finally got that closure. And then we have the saddest song. The very Sweeney Todd Sondheim song I felt with this one. What, Goodbye Until Tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah. I Could Never Rescue Goodbye Until Tomorrow. Yeah, where she's, she's singing I Will Be Waiting For You. Mm-hmm. This fictional past version of Kathy that Jamie is seeing. Yeah. And singing with the girl that he did fall in love with, who was vibrant and bright and in love with him, and Jamie singing, I couldn't rescue you, sorry. Yeah. This is the thing. When Kathy is reflecting on their presumably first night together, Mm. it's so romantic and optimistic. Yeah. She's filled with hope that this is the one and life is going to get better. Yeah. But if we compare it to his song, Mm. his first song... Shiska Goddess. It feels like he's just trying to get her into bed. Yeah, it does. And they both come into the relationship with different wants. I don't think he wants a relationship with this girl. He's quite happy being young and just playing the field. Yeah. And you see at this point, he feels like he's been trapped into marriage and conned into it. Mm-hmm. Whereas she felt this was the one. And it's such a shame that their two different perspectives didn't mesh. Mm. Was well, one of the things where thinking about that the original one came out in two thousand one. Yeah. The fact that Kathy is the one that asks Jamie to move in mm-hmm. is quite progressive for the time because in two thousand and one, it was very unheard of for the girl to be the one that proposes or the girl that be, is the one to ask the guy out. Things like that. It was very radical to do that. Radical being a sort of generous term. Radical dude. Yeah, but. That wasn't something that, from what I remember of 2001, girls were encouraged to do, you know? In your six-year-old mindset. Especially in films and things. You didn't see girls doing that. No, you didn't. And I wouldn't be surprised if she was the one that proposed to him in real life. Mm. Yeah, because the fact that she asks him to move in 
he doesn't say yes. And then... Because she says that, doesn't she, during the I Can Do Better, I can do better song, that she says that and he just ignores it. Think about how I love you, stay or move in with me. Yeah. Because she's introducing him to her parents. Yeah. Who live far enough away that it's taking a long car journey to get there. Mm-hmm. Which, there's some effort involved in that. Oh, yeah. Oh, believe me. Yeah. I am fully aware of that. <laughs> and... He's so flippant about this, it's almost like he's just going through the motions because he has no intention of this lasting. And he, you can feel like his whole story and all of his songs is moving too fast. It's all a story about how he's been trapped. Yeah. And he's finally free. From his perspective. Yeah. yeah. And it's such a shame because everything about her screams, I wanted this to be right. I married you. I, I gave myself to you. And yeah. here we are. And he walks off. And then she comes back mm-hmm. and we go back to the start. Yes. Super interestingly, when interviewed, the majority of the actors in the show, Jamie and Kathy, agree that Jamie's the bad guy. Nobody yeah. is on Jamie's side, which is so funny well, because like <laughs> generally the reception of this film and this musical was that it was a success. Jason Robert Brown had done a good job with it. But that Jamie's a horrible person, mm-hmm. which is just so. Again, why admit that this is real? <laughs> if everyone's this like, point. "This is great," but that character Jamie sucks. Why it's be very like... weird because he is Jamie, and you feel like he's tried to write a male gaze breakup film, and, and has instead written a very female gaze uh-huh. breakup film. Yeah. And in his quest to justify his actions yeah he's actually ended up as the villain as the villain Mm -hmm. and like i say this could completely be self-reflective of him finally working through their relationship and potentially realizing i played it wrong and i was the bad guy and i'm gonna own up to it yeah but if that was the case she wouldn't have sued him if that was the case, she'd have been quite happy with it because maybe it's a weird moment of clarity for her that mm. you finally get it. Fine. Working through this has made you get it. Great. Yeah. Fact she sued. Is him trying to villainise her and actually getting it wrong? Yeah. So the fact that she... So she sued him before it went on anywhere. She sued him for the... For making a story about them. Yeah. Meaning, she saw the original draft, which we haven't seen, because we're the, you know, modern audience. The original one we know has a song that is very clearly about her that references the fact that she's Irish Catholic. So what else did he change? Yeah. Other than that song? Yeah. Like, what else is he not telling us that he changed because she told him to? Or because he had to based on their NDA agreement. But this is the, the reason I think that she is also a creative type. Yeah. Is an NDA agreement, presumably, based on what we get from Jamie in this, there's no way he'd have signed it if he didn't think there was something she could say about him. Yeah, for sure. Or a medium that she could express herself with. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't seem like he's going to sign anything that doesn't also 
help him. Yeah. So I get the sense that she is also this creative type. They both knew that something would have come out sooner or later and they'd done this to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. I think he's arrogant enough to think it would have backfired. Yeah. Clearly he was wrong. Yeah, clearly he was wrong. I really enjoyed this one, though. Good, I'm glad. I don't have a best or worst song, to be completely honest with you, because I think they're all great songs. You don't have a least favourite song no. at all? The thing is, the way this works is there's very little dialogue yeah. that is just all song. It's, it, it's all one song. Mm-hmm. The song I like least, because of the character building and the world building, is the Schmuel song. All right. That's so catchy. No, it is catchy. And this is it. I don't dislike it because of the way it's written or the sound of it. I dislike it because of the character of Jamie. That's fair. That's that's kind of our first glimpse into him being rude to her. Agreed. And I think it's a song that is the origin of the villain. I dislike it mostly because the sentiment behind it. Yeah. And therefore, it probably is his true thoughts. So, who knows? But I do like all of the songs on here. I don't like the next 10 minutes, the proposal song. It's just, I, I just find it a bit boring. Which is fine. I didn't find it that offensive. I didn't think it was that bad. Yeah. It's, Funny, it's fine. It's just kind of meh. I think this is oddly the show that I've been most engaged with that we've watched so far where I've not had to have moments of okay, let's just pause it to stretch my legs or to go get something like I don't know, you like the producers I did like the producers but I feel like I was more focused on this one than I've ever been on another show before Okay, I suppose you kind of have to pay attention to this one you do have to pay attention to this one but it didn't feel like a chore yeah. Not that every show we've done has felt like a chore. Some of our shows are longer than other shows. Yeah. And some of them are more marathons than they are sprints. <laughs> yeah. Which isn't a bad thing. And there are some occasions where I am very much I need to pause and just have a 10-minute stretch. Mm-hmm. And I try to find a good convenient time to do that, maybe at what would be the interval. Yeah. This is one where I do really feel like I was very actively engaged throughout. Mm. I don't think I have a least favourite song, like I say. I don't think I have a best song. I liked them all very equally. Yeah. I think if I was going to have to choose a song that I liked the most, if I'm absolutely going to have to say one that I liked the most, I'm going to say... See, I'm smiling. Ooh, nice, good choice. I like that song. Because it is tragic and you can really feel the emotion in the way Anna Kendrick performed it. Mm. I also really like I Can Do Better Than That. Mm. I really love Jeremy Jordan's performance throughout this. You know, nobody needs to know he's done a great job at representing this character who feels like he's justified. Yeah. I can't fault his performance. I may dislike the character, but... That's good acting on his part. Mm-hmm. The Schmuel song is probably his, my least favourite one of his. I would say maybe 
Summer in Ohio is my least favourite Anna Kendrick song. Really? I love that song. See, that it's between that and I Can Do Better Than That for my favourite. I just think at that point it's almost by the numbers. Yeah. And I don't mind. I like it. I really like it. Mm-hmm. But I also think it's the one of hers that for me isn't up there. So I do really like climbing uphill an audition sequence because it's funny and the sentiment behind it's funny. Yeah. So, yeah, some really good performances. Oh. My... <laughs> Who would you want to play if you were in this musical? <laughs> I, I realised that this question no, wasn't that. It's, it's a moo point. <laughs> but I, I would like the challenge of playing Jamie. Of being that horrible yeah because some of a lot of him being a horrible person is in the little things the thing is every villain Mm. and every character needs to feel truly committed to what they're doing yeah he believes that he's right exactly and as a character he's so well written because he believes he's in the right we talked about waitress earlier on yeah. And how I'd love to play all the characters. I think the husband character, yeah. whilst incredibly controversial, would be my favourite character to play in Waitress because he goes on such a journey of, I think I'm right. He's more than this kind of comedy hillbilly character. There's a lot of depth to him. Yeah. And Jamie is that same kind of character that you have to really think about what you're doing with this. Last year at LFCC, I went to a panel with Robert Carlyle, Mm. which was amazing because he's such a fantastic actor. And one of the questions he was talking about was how does he choose roles he can play? Yeah. And essentially he was talking about how he has to choose roles that he feels there's something he can do with that role. It's not one note. And he talked about when he played Hitler, I didn't know that he did that. And that that was one of the most challenging roles he'd ever played before, but also, in an odd sense, one of the most rewarding because it was kind of cathartic. Yeah. Because you had to really get into a character who believed that what he was doing was right. Mm -hmm. And getting into that headspace was one of the best challenges he'd ever done and therefore was one of the most rewarding experiences for him. Yeah. Which I really like the idea of that we can play a role who has the opposite values to us because Jamie is a complete opposite of the values I hold for myself. Yeah. So playing that character would be a challenge and would be very rewarding in doing so if you could do it right. Mm, I like that. Yeah. And I think that's why I'd like to play. I do. I do think I'd rather play a Bond villain than James Bond. Yeah. If they were well written. I'd like to play the master more than the doctor sometimes. Because you can get some really nice moments of it. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather be the doctor, but there are some moments where you look at the master and you think, oh, that's that's just amazing. Yeah, I agree. Like, some of the stuff he does, when, when the master was... Um... John Sim. Of the David Tennant one. Yes. I'm really bad at names. Um, John he was is brilliant as the master. Unhinged. Yes. Which makes him scary. Like, that's what I'm here for. Give me the 
truly believes that what he's doing is right, but is clearly insane. Which is why I love Thanos as a villain. I know you've got your thoughts, but yeah. he's committed to this idea what he's doing is right. And he can justify, and that's what's scary. Yeah. Villains are scary when they genuinely believe what they're doing is right. And he's the villain without even realising he's the villain, Jamie. Because mm-hmm. he does everything wrong and can justify it to himself. Yeah. Which is why, yeah, it's the only role I can play in this. It's a role I'd enjoy playing. Yeah, I think, yeah, I agree. It would be fun to play a character who is just horrible. It's a difficult one to kind of talk about who my MVP is. Yeah. Because there are two. Yeah. And it feels like saying one over the other is a disservice because Kathy's only as good as Kathy is because you see Her what Jamie's done. Yeah. And I am going to say that Anna Kendrick is my favourite part of this. Yeah. That's not a thing against Jeremy Jordan because he was absolutely fantastic. But I think there's a real, real contrast to Kathy before and after. Yeah. And I don't feel that so much with Jamie that there's a before and after. I think, you know, great job of... There's this side to him deep down throughout. Yeah. But I think with Kathy, it's more obvious. And you seeing the world through her eyes, I think, more so. I think the way Anna Kendrick's performance is, even though you're supposed to maybe be unbiased in watching this and take both sides, there's an element of you're more drawn into hers. She feels like a more human character at times. So she's your protagonist. She's your entry into this world yeah and i think she does a phenomenal job in this especially because i've only ever seen her play funnier roles yeah you know i've seen her she's quirkier yeah i've seen her do the pitch perfect roles i've seen her do the into the woods roles Mm -hmm. this is her being a real person in the same way that james corden was my favorite part about into the woods because it was his less pratfallish self yeah. This is me seeing a completely different side to her, which I really liked. And I it's a completely different Jeremy Jordan to Newsies. Yeah. But I haven't seen enough of his work to see the scope. You're not gonna, because he's not in basically anything. Which else. is fine, and that's not He's a, in Supergirl. Yeah, it's not a criticism of him. But I think I've come to expect a certain thing from Anna Kendrick, and this yeah. isn't what I was expecting of her, and she did a great job. Makes sense. I gave it five stars. Yay. I really liked this. And I'm on a roll with these. When this comes back to London, yeah, because it was supposed to go on now, I'm hoping it might still have a place in London. Yeah. Well, once it's the good, again, it's reopened. an off West End one. I would love to go see this. Yeah, same. I've, I've felt that way, you know, with other ones that we've seen. But there's some, I really enjoyed My Fair Lady, but I don't know if I'd want to see it performed live as a revival. Maybe mm. I'd like to stage it, which is different. Yeah. But uh, I would love to see this performed with the two actors. Mm. And I'd love to see how it differs. Yeah. But a really good musical. I know that I've been very negative about the author. Mm-hmm composer the lyricist that's just my view i could be completely wrong and i am very sorry if everything i've said as a character assassination is wrong 
It's how it comes across from my limited knowledge of the history surrounding it. Yeah. I can't blame him for maybe processing a difficult process of divorce and deteriorating relationship through the one medium he knows how. And of course, he's going to see himself as in the right. I think inherently we do. Mm. Like when you break up with someone and you then talk to your next partner about it you don't say all the good stuff about them you mm-hmm. talk about the breakup and how it was their fault yeah and actually maybe you don't spot the things that were your fault and you can't blame him for that yeah human nature it is human nature but i do think very much this is a weird thing to admit being autobiographical yeah. even if like the one autobiographical bit is i got divorced Well, it's so jumping back to when we did Phantom of the Opera, one of the things I said about that was that people talk a lot about how the changes made from the book to the musical make it look like the Phantom is Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah. He himself has never agreed with that or said anything about it and good on him (laughs) because if he did, it would be so weird and so different, which is why I don't understand with this why you would admit yeah. to it. I think sometimes the best thing you can do is ignore it and just, if people yeah. want to let that be canon, mm-hmm. let it be canon. Look at the Pixar theory that everyone has that all Pixar films follow the same timeline but the same world. Yeah, They've come out and they've exclusively said, no, that's not a thing. And it ruins the fun a little bit. They're better just off... Just ignore it. Yeah, it just just let it, let it be ignored and let people make what they want of it. Yeah. Andrew Lloyd Webber probably looks at that and laughs and thinks, really? (laughs) Okay. Mm. He might agree. He might not. Who knows? But not saying it is better than... Acknowledging. Exactly. And I wonder why you'd acknowledge this. Because it does say a lot about his character. Yeah. I agree. I'm very glad that you enjoyed that one. Yeah, you're on a roll. Last week with the producers, five stars. Potter Musical, four stars. And... This is now five stars. Yeah. Question is, will next week's be five stars? Uh, we'll see. So next week, we are going to be watching Gypsy. Okay. Gypsy had Bette Midler originally? Not originally, but yes, it had, had Bette Midler. But in recent revivals, which is the one we're going to be watching it has Dolores Umbridge yes Imelda Staunton who is absolutely phenomenal she is she's so so brilliant obviously we'll be talking about the 1962 musical yeah but we will be watching the 2016 London revival with Imelda Staunton okay that's very cool we're again and also Peter Davison what former doctor Peter Davison yeah the fifth doctor my favourite of the Vintage Doctors. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the best way to say is the original Doctors, classic, classic yeah. Doctors. He's he's great. I saw him yeah. in Legally Blonde, and he was amazing in that. He's probably my third, maybe fourth favorite Doctor. Cool. So that's really good. We're we're coming onto a string of musicals where I just know nothing about them. Yeah, I was going to say, do you know anything about Gypsy at all? Yeah, I know nothing about this one. So I'll have, I'll have a think about what I do or don't know but it's interesting that we kind of hit the double digits yep and we got through some I know and now we're just increasingly getting to ones I know very little about yeah I mean this is another one that's based on a real person 
I did not know there was such a thing as Gypsy until you talked to me about this. About Amelda Swanton. Yes. Yeah, and how phenomenal she is. Well, and, and like talking about the podcast as a whole. You yeah. Know, like when you mentioned things, I had no idea that there was such a show. And in running the social media for our show mm-hmm. and in following social media of other podcasts that I listen to, I've seen Gypsy referenced more and more and more and more with a lot of people having very positive things to say about it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited for this one. Cool. I make jokes relating to Gypsy all the time. So Do you really? Nice to, yeah. Well, when we return next week to talk about Gypsy, you'll be able to find us on Apple Podcasts. You'll be able to find us on Spotify, Podbean and Stitcher Radio. Make sure you subscribe when you listen to us Mm -hmm. so you are notified when the next episode goes live. Leave us a review, help us with that algorithm and get involved in the conversations over on Twitter and Instagram at It's a Musical Pod. Did you enjoy this episode talking about the last five years? Mm -hmm. Is it one that you've watched before? Is it one that you're going to watch now that we've talked about it? I don't know why you'd watch it after we've just told you the entire (laughs) plot. Some people, I like that. I listen to a lot. I watch a lot of podcasts and YouTube videos for things I've never seen. And then you watch it. And then I watch it afterwards and I find it more interesting. I tend to watch the thing first and then listen in with them. It's very rare that I, I hate spoilers. So... If you haven't watched it yet and you're still with us, thank you. <laughs> Check it out. It it really is a fun, fun, interesting hour and a half to spend mm-hmm. watching this relationship break down. Yeah. The other thing you can do, every single week I draw a tile card for each of our episodes and I've started posting them over on TikTok because I'm down with the kids. And I do a process video of how I draw those. So you can follow me on Instagram and TikTok at Icarus Illustration. Yeah, which I will always tag on Twitter as well and Instagram. So nice, easy way to find. I don't understand TikTok. I am too old for it. TikTok's great. (laughs) TikTok is noisy is what it is. But yeah, give us a follow and email us if you want to at it's a musical pod at gmail.com. Yeah, let us know your thoughts on the show so far. I'd like to give a shout out to one of my friends, Maggie, who started listening to the show and very much enjoyed my take on Joseph. And gave us a great review. Yes, so thank you, Maggie, if you're listening still, if you kept up with us 10 episodes later. <laughs> Until next week, where we talk about Imelda Staunton and Gypsy. Mm-hmm. I've been the boyfriend. And I'm Drew. Have a fantastic, magical, musical Monday. For all the negative things I'm saying about Jason David Brown, because I realise this is almost like a character assassination. Jason Robert Brown. <laughs>